Welcome to a new episode of the Between the Posts podcast. Every football match is a story in itself, and at Between the Posts, we try to tell you exactly those stories. We attempt to find out what actually happens on the pitch during a clash between two football teams, providing tactical insights that will help you enjoy the beautiful game even more than before. My name is Eric Elias, and I'm here with our writer, Jose Perez. Jose, how are you? Great. Uh... Thanks for inviting me, Eric, and th- and hello to everyone. Uh, so this was a lot more fun than I w- than I expected it to be. This match. Nice. So maybe next time you will listen to me when we decide what games we should pick. Uh, I think no, it could be that both of us have good taste in picking in picking games. Because yes, I did not have any hopes in this one being good, and you were right. That's nice. So uh, Valencia, Barcelona. Why did we pick this match? Well, it has a lot of backstory. Obviously, Barcelona just sacked their manager two weeks ago and Ernesto Farfere had to go um, when he was leading the league, when Barcelona had won two league titles in a row, when he had won a Super Cup, when he had won uh, a, a Copa del Rey. And he lost a Super Cup all the way in Saudi Arabia and he had to go. And even though it's two weeks ago and that feels like, that feels like an age in current football because it goes so quick all the time, it's good to reflect on that a bit because what did you make of that? About Valverde sacking, it, it was something that was overdue, frankly. I think there was this broad consensus that Valverde's era at Barcelona had ended with the Liverpool loss in Champions League. And I think most people had agreed there that it was time to move on. So it was surprising that the Barcelona board decide to not move on when that happens. So, frankly, I think it's been kind of a wasted six months because this change should have happened uh, at the beginning, like over the summer at the beginning. Yeah, but maybe uh, the battles that Barcelona has to win are not on the training ground, but on the negotiation tables at the summer because it's also a bit of a squad issue, right? Of a squad building issue that is not only the manager, but it's also the players he has to work with. And of course, there are some of great players, but they're also getting a bit older, you know? So maybe that style wasn't so bad that Valverde played. I think that the problems, uh, that's something that people don't recognize, that the problems that Valverde had to solve are, well, are that, are, are a result of an incoherent squad composition and, there's only so much that coaches can do. And I get a feeling that, yes, we're going to see with Setien that those problems are still there. That it was not just Valverde, but that there are issues with the squad itself that end up, show, end up with results like what we saw today. Like a team that, for example, did not have enough midfield runners from midfield and forward lines. This is a thing that, for example, Barcelona has had a problem since Suarez got older, since Neymar left the team, and it feels like the team has done very little, well, management has done very little to solve that issue and sign the right players. So you feel that you need, say, a quicker uh, a quicker forward, and instead of that, you get Griezmann over the summer, who's a player with a very different kind of profile. So yes, the entire mess at Barcelona is a mix of everything of coaches of squad composition management it's complicated yeah and unsurprisingly it's not always entirely the manager's fault huh go figure who would have thought yes and then they put in Setien which is 
surprising to say the least. And from my point of view, it's clearly a choice for style because Setien, in all his interviews, he talks about Johan Cruyff all the time. Likes to play out from the back. We saw his team plays, Las Palmas, Betis. Likes to play out from the back, likes to counter press, you know. And I immediately thought, this is okay. It's going to be more interesting. It's going to be more like Barcelona football. Is it going to be better? Mm, not sure. Well, I think that there has been people kind of misinterpret what uh, what Cruyff's philosophy was, and I, I think people have developed this. Uh, basically, people confuse like Cruyffism, to put it that way, with Guardiolaism. Like to them, playing like a Cruyffist team is playing like. Uh, Pep Guardiola's team was playing in between 2008 and 2012. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like, if you looked, like, people would probably be surprised if they look at Cruyff's original dream team in Barcelona because they would see actually a very direct team that didn't control games that much, that didn't rack up too many passes, that they actually went for the vertical pass most of the time. While you see something like Setien's team that they cut, they say, comes from a Cry follower and it's actually a lot more conservative in possession. So I don't know. I think people have developed this very extremist view of what uh, a Cruyffist team looks like. Yes. And eventually that was also what Favre had cost him. At the other hand, yeah, he just was not performing good enough with Barcelona and the points weren't there. So, yeah, I started with the question, why did we pick this match? Obviously, because it's interesting. It's one of the biggest clubs in the world. They go for a relatively small name manager who has had some good seasons with Betis, but also one less good season. So it's interesting to see what he can bring to the table. So I think the whole football world watched that first game against Granada, that first league game. And, well, what did we see there? Short, in a couple of sentences, what did we see there? I think the most important characteristic and something that was maintained here against Valencia was this sort of 3-5-2 structure where uh, you end up with Sergi Roberto almost playing like a third center back on the right. And then you have uh, Alba and Ansu Fati providing width on the left and right side. That is the probably the most important characteristics. And then you have Griezmann and Messi more playing closer to the middle. Yes. And if we go to the match of today, then it is Valencia-Barcelona, not Barcelona-Granada. And if we zoom in here, in that first match, um, the two central midfielders were Vidal and Rakitic. And here they were two more possession-orientated, Frenkie de Jong and Arthur as central midfielders. And one would have expected that that would improve the play. Do you understand the choice Etienne made to play those two guys together in the middle of the field? I mean, I think all of us... There's, there's another consensus uh, about the fact that Barcelona's, on paper, best midfield trio is... Frenkie, Arthur, and Busquets. The problem and the thing that always makes it tricky to play with them is that it feels that all three of them can be a bit redundant. That all three of them are players who prefer to control games from the base 
uh, rather than playing between the lines. So you can end up in situations like the one today where uh, you have Barcelona has these three midfielders, but nobody, none of them is really good or likes or tends to play in between the lines. And that, that makes the team less direct and it makes it tend more towards conservative possession. Right. Um, I would still label Barcelona's formation as a, yeah, 3-1-4-2. You can say 3-5-2. It doesn't really mm -hmm. matter. Like, yeah. the basics is this. Three guys at the back, one guy at every flank, two strikers that can, two guys that have the freedom to drop into midfield and three midfielders, of course, with Busquets at the base and two guys playing slightly higher. We didn't even val mention Valencia yet. Do you want to say anything about them? Obviously, you, the La Liga specialist. I know they play 4-4-2, good defensive block. Obviously, had to deal with some ramblings for themselves with a managerial change early in the season. Is there something you want to add to that for the listener? Yeah, with Valencia, they've... Celades has been an interesting case, the, the manager who followed Marcelino, because... He's kept the 4-4-2 structure, so Valencia keeps playing the same 4-4-2 they've, they've done for two years already. Uh, but he's varying a bit more in that sometime, most of the time Valencia will choose to stay in a deep block, but then there are some situations where they will choose to press. For example, I noticed that after uh, Valencia missed the penalty at the beginning of this game, they pressed a bit more aggressively. So they... They mostly stay deep, but they have a few periods in the game where they decide to press, depending on basically the game state. But it's a 4-4-2. Today, it had very, a very important... Today's 4-4-2 was uh, a very particular one because it lacked probably their two most important players from a systems perspective. Uh, second striker, Rodrigo, was not play, was, did not start. He came until the se second half. And Parejo who is basically the midfield director in the team, was not playing. So it also, it also doesn't speak well for Barcelona that they lost against the Valencia, who did not start probably two of their most important players. Yeah, Parejo is probably their best player. Like, we don't have to discuss that. Mm -hmm. um, so we go into the match, um, and we see a lot of passes by Barcelona. Once again, as we described, in that formation with three at the back, a lot of passes and very little passes actually going forward. Um, we'll cover the penalty later, but in general, what did you think was the biggest problem for Barcelona in the first half from a tactical point of view? I think what you notice when you're there is A, uh, so how many players they accumulated in the center and only really Alba and Fati on the wing. So they were kind of isolated on the wing. And two, uh, what we've been complaining for, we complained all day on Twitter, which was the lack of midfield runners. Well, the lack of runners in general, uh, in general for Barcelona from uh, the midfield line and the forward line. I have to say, not everybody is on Twitter who listens to the podcast. So maybe they missed your, uh, your ramblings over there. <laughs> no, <laughs> Thanks. Joke. Thanks but for calling them ramblings. Yes. Don't worry. But... Um, do you think it makes sense to play three midfielders that don't go in behind, that want to have the ball, and to have two dropping mid, uh, attacking players that go into midfield all the time? Does that make sense? Isn't, isn't it just too much? It's very weird because you have, for example, this midfield trio that feels a bit redundant. 
because you have three midfielders of that profile of the of a very similar profile. But then the times where, for example, Valverde decided to play with a double pivot, uh didn't look great either because Barcelona actually lost control of games very easily and they turned into like transition come and go. So it's very hard to know what the mid what the balance point is for Barcelona. Uh, it often when you have Vidal as the third midfielder, I I've sometimes felt that Barcelona lacks more control. But right now it. It seems like Vidal is the most informed midfielder in the team. And maybe he fits the style they are now currently playing. He doesn't fit that style, but maybe he can be the solution. But um, we'll come on that later. Um, I also uh, singled out some individual performances that were not good, that had nothing to do with tactics, but just form on the day. For instance, uh, Frenkie de Jong played a very bad game. Not helped by the role he had to play because... Valencia obviously playing two banks of four. He often had to navigate around that. So he was often in possession almost at the byline, which is not his best possession, position, obviously. But a couple of sloppy passes, very uncharacteristic that he didn't know if somebody was in his back or not. So I didn't think he played well. I think Arthur had a very hard time to leave his mark on the match. And uh, I might whisper this, but I thought Messi didn't play as well as he can. Yeah, I thought, for example, against Granada, he had a much better game. I yeah. am particularly disappointed with the performances of the central midfielders because, yeah, mm-hmm. we all kind of expected Artur and Frenkie to be an upgrade over last game, and they weren't. Like, they looked, lo- they looked lost. That's, that's how I saw it. Like, as if they weren't sure of what their role should be. Well, isn't it also the problem that you say, I don't know what happened, but isn't it also the problem that there one, what we already mentioned, there is a lack of runners in behind, which does not stretch Valencia as a result. So they have, it's easier for them to play compact. But two, um, also the players who are playing are playing a bit static. There is not a lot of interplay, not a lot of interchangement. When Messi drops, he drops to collect the ball and never to make a run for another player. Um, Griezmann as well. It's not like they are interchanging to cause a little bit chaos between the lines it's all very static and 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 yeah to use a uh to speak more frankly it's a bit slow the attacking play you know it's a pass and then there's not a lot of running going on yes and that can be best seen by the behavior of the players on the wings because both even Fati and Alba seemed a bit static throughout the first half in that they weren't even making runs behind defenses or anything. They just got into that area like in between the lines and but on the wing and then they just stayed there. They weren't making runs anyway. So the entire team looked very static uh, when, it, when it was in possession. That is true. And that makes it difficult. And that makes it difficult to even to move the team forward. Like you can't even find a pass forward because you find no one to pass to, to begin with. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, let's cover the penalty, which was given in the 10th minute. Uh, what happened there? Penalty to Valencia, to be clear. What, what happened? Uh, first of all, uh, one thing that happened is Gaia, who is having a really good season. And with games like today, he, confer- he confirms that. Really good game. Really dangerous. And he made and he caused Barcelona's right side a lot of suffering. It doesn't help that Barcelona's right side is not exactly 
uh, the strongest one defensively. I think one of the things that Barcelona is going to do away with, uh, that Setien is going to do away with pretty quickly, is this entire business of Sergi Roberto essentially being like the third center back. It's not working out. Well, I think in possession, it's okay. And after yes. all, it's not working. I agree with you there. Um, penalty given. Great save by Ter Stegen, I must say. Uh, Maxi Gomez uh, was kicking the penalty for Valencia. Uh, Uruguayan striker, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And great save. Could have been kicked better, but still. After that, what you said already, they, Valencia, still got a bit, bit more confident. Eh? They pressed forward a bit more. How do you think um, Barcelona dealt with that? Um, not particularly well. The only thing, like the good thing for them is that Valencia are a team who hate having the ball for extended periods of time. They're very efficient and fast in their use of possession. They only think about, they're the opposite. They only think about moving the ball forward as quickly as possible. So they often lose it. So Valencia often lose the ball fairly quickly and possession goes back to, to Barcelona. That being said, even if Valencia didn't have the ball for too long, it always felt like it, they could create danger uh, pretty quickly and take advantage of the weaknesses in Barcelona's transition game, especially the right side of Barcelona's defense. How many shots do you think Barcelona took in the first half? I think the first half ended up with something like Barcelona had three shots, but all of them outside the box. No shots in the box for the first uh, half. You did your research again. That's why yes. it's fun to do podcasts with you. You always know everything. <laughs> I like the I like the numbers. That's the thing. I usually check up on the numbers. But if yes, that, no shots in the box. If you would not have liked the numbers, then you would have wrote for another uh, website, probably not for us. Um, <laughs> next question: How many passes did they give? That I did not look at. So you know, you will you can you can give us the pass and possession numbers. I have it here in front of me: four hundred and ninety-seven passes. Um, yeah. They gave a total of 1,005 passes against Granada. And here in the first half, almost 500. Tells you all you need to know. They pass, they pass, they pass. And for the reasons we have just mentioned, they have some attacking problems to go with that. And Yes, and, one, and it's interesting because the issues we've seen with Barcelona in these first three Setien games are very similar to the ones we saw uh, in the second season of Setien at Betis. Uh, Similar issues, a lot of passing the ball around, but they weren't able to do damage many times because they lacked midfield runners. So, but what well, midfield? Well, midfield and forward line runners. Yes, so and the you absence, end up uh, the absence of Suarez is also noted here. Obviously, um, what do you think? Setien tried to change in the second half. Were there tactical tweaks you saw? Because the formation stayed the same, but what kind of different behavior you saw for the players in the second half? He tried to foster a bit the, the part of midfield doing runs, which is why we saw Frankie try to make runs, but not succeeding that much at just being... Because sometimes, sometimes you just saw Frankie like just going forward, then he just stays there, way, like, way, oh, again, static and in between the lines waiting for things to happen. But right. it doesn't... Like, he, he told Frankie, Frankie de Jong to play higher and made runs. 
but Fengi didn't make those runs because he never does that. Actually, that's just not his game. And if they wanted him to do that, or they wanted a player who does that, they should have bought uh, Donny van de Beek from Ajax. And yeah, that's just not his game, right? Yes, and that's why Vidal was brought in the yes. second half for Artur, who was having, who was probably, who was also having a bad game. So that helped a lot because he was a lot, because Vidal was a lot more aggressive about it. And then he has this pretty good combination play with Messi. Why is Vidal so important to this Barcelona? Because um, you called him the best midfielder of Barcelona of the past five, six weeks. If I'm, did you say that? Yes. Yes. Yes, he's usually the the player who's being having mo- the midfielder who's been having most impact on games. Usually, we've already had for several weeks in a row situations where um, Barcelona was not doing well. Vidal gets substituted in, the team improves because he How? gives you that Why? extra bit. He gives you that extra bit of dynamism off the ball that it they're very clearly lacking. Do you think you should start in, in, in favor of Artur or Frenkie? Do you think the midfield trio should be Busquets, Vidal, Frenkie or Busquets, Vidal, Artur? It might, let's say that it might be worth trying. There, there might be an argument that perhaps you want to leave Vidal for second halves so that he can sort of act as an impact substitute to change games. But right now, I'd be very curious to see a combination in which you just have Busquets, one of uh Frankie or Artur on the left side and then you have Vidal uh as the right central midfielder so we saw Barcelona pushing up more we saw Valencia play uh defend deeper than they did in the first 50 55 60 minutes of the game but they Barcelona were still not able to create chances right like they didn't have any clear cut chances at that time Basically, they again they still struggle to to get the chances. Valencia got their goals. It it I wouldn't say it was against the run of play, but again, but when you play Valencia, it tends to be like this: very you you feel that you control the game most of the time. Then uh, one of these times, you just get a Valencia count, a Valencia attack or counter attack, and you get something scored against you. Uh, that's that's that how that. That's how playing against Valencia feels like for the last year or so. Yes, they're just a defensive, a very good team. Can we talk about the second goal? Because I think the second goal um, more or less showcased at the same time, one, the problems of the squad Barcelona has, and two, the problems that causes this system at the moment. Because uh, I will fill it in for the people that did not watch the match. Um, Valencia, it's the 75th minute. Valencia tries to counterattack through uh, Rodrigo, the substitute. Busquets, Vidal, and Griezmann uh, stop that counterattack. But at the back, it's three against three at that moment. One striker, Carlos Soler, who played left midfield, and Ferran, who played right midfield, against three Barcelona players, the three defenders, Piquet, Umtiti, and Sergio Roberto. Roberto. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Rodrigo. Uh, wins the throw-in, throws it quickly to Ferran. Ferran Torres beats Umtiti easily one versus one. He plays it to the other side, and it's an easy goal for Maxi Gomez. And what that showcased for me is a couple of things. One, this team of Barcelona cannot play uh, one versus one at the back for a full game. 
which is very hard to do. And you cannot do that with three center backs called Umtiti, Piquet, and Sergio Roberto. And two, the whole team did not adjust accordingly to that because uh, there were, Alba was walking back. He was not transitioning in a sprint, but he was walking back. Frankie was still on Valencia's half. He didn't transition all the way back. And Anzu Fati, of course, is young, but I also think he is not instructed to be the wing back in those situations. So it's both a profile uh, problem and it's also a systemic problem. And you could see that very clearly. Like Frankie, Anzu Fati and Alba were both, were all three acting in that offensive transition as in, ah, okay, our defenders will, will handle this, you know. They were acting like they had Varane, Sergio Ramos and Piquet. Semiro. And, uh, and his, no, or Piquet in his prime, you know, Piquet five, six years ago. Like they had those three center backs at the back. And they don't. You have to help out or you will get slaughtered. And that's what happened. Yes. And it's just, and it's an example of how clearly this team is playing with a three at the back structure right now. And it just won't work out. They might need, I, I think Barcelona is going to return to something that looks more like a back four soon and more of a, in a more conventional 4-3-3 structure yeah but this is the whole this is the whole how do you say this is the whole issue right like this is why Valverde always played 4-4-2 and didn't press this is why he played those two banks of four to give protection to those defenders and in those moments of transition to have always five six players behind the ball you know that's why he did that because of this kind of 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 moments of transition and Valencia are a good team in offensive transitions but still this was too easy and that's that's like the whole the whole like the whole case uh for Valverde that it, that it was not all his fault was very much on display there you know so yes, I thought that was really interesting one solution that Valverde ended up doing to allow his fullbacks to go forward is why he ended up switching over to this 4-4-2 and a double pivot because what happened this was, for example, Barcelona between 2017 and 2019, where you had both center backs, and then you had this double pivot with Busquets and Rakitic also staying, uh, mm -hmm. staying back. And that protected Barcelona's back a bit and allowed the fullbacks to have a bit more freedom uh, to go forward. Because that, that's the problem if Barcelona switches back to a back four. Like, you, how in that case, if you make, for example, Alba stay back, you lose your best runner in your possession, in, in, in Barca's possession structure. So if, if already Barca does not have enough people making runs behind defenses, without Alba, it's even worse. So you still need to find a way that, so that you can keep enough men at the back. You can keep, keep say, four or five uh, players at the back while allowing Alba to make the forward runs. Because otherwise you have a problem. And we saw that very clearly with Valencia's second goal, which came, as I said earlier, in the 75th minute. Ten minutes later, uh, Setien brings on Rakitic and Collado, which was a player I did not know uh, personally. Um, he's probably a youth player who played for the first yes. or second time, uh, Jose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, player, player at, Bar at Barca B. He's been doing pretty well. Got famous last year. Uh, when he did like the spectacular goal where he dribbled through like half a team, uh, mostly attacking midfielder who can be used as a winger, even though it's not really his natural position. But 
at this point, it didn't even matter because both Rakitic and him entered the oh. game at the 85th minute, a but bit too late is, to make an impact. Isn't this just marketing from Sitian? Like, oh, look at me putting in youth players. Like he played Ricky Puch last week for like half an hour. Now he plays Collado. Isn't it just like, oh, I'm Cruyffian and I want to play this Cruyff football and I also trust youth. Like, yeah, shouldn't you see it like that? I don't think so. I it's just he he was just a bit more conservative about. I guess he was just a bit more conservative. He wants maybe he wants to keep using this lineup and hope that they're going to figure it out at some point. It but yeah, it felt like game management. The Vidal substitution was good, but perhaps uh, something else could have been done. Uh something else probably could have been done to make the tiki give a boost to the team. For example, uh, Fati didn't do well in this game either. He could have been substituted earlier. Right. Um, we have been focusing a lot on Barcelona. Obviously, the game ends 2-0. Who was the standout performer for you from Valencia? That is a very good question because when you have games like this, this is one of those in which you say, well, I think everyone did pretty well. My favorite ones, uh, Gabriel Paulista, the center back, Mm-hmm. Great game. He is in very good form. He is. He has been great at clearing danger from his box, but especially anticipating and trying to intercept attacks because before they become dangerous. Kondokbia had a complicated game today because he did not have Parejo beside him, and I think he handled it pretty well in a way of trying to be the one who directs Valencia's attacks or try or try to help the team. Uh, progress forward. Of course, he cannot do it as well as Parejo, but I think he's uh, he's doing pretty well. And then from the midfield or forward lines, I I have a soft spot for Carlos Soler. For Carlos Soler, I, you're now uh, you're calling out half the team now. <laughs> I only mentioned three this time, so I know it's cheating. I know it's cheating because you told me one, but I I, I think those three are were my favorites. Soler. Condogbia uh, and Gabriel Paulista. I liked what Condogbia and Coquelin were doing in central midfield. You know, stepping yes. out when there was pressure needed, keeping it tight when they had to keep the spaces tight. It was not so easy to limit Barcelona to as little shots as they did on the day. Which brings me, obviously, to the next question, which is a very broad question, but it's a very important question. What now for Barcelona? Where do we go next? I would say they have to go for... It's difficult. It's difficult because my first instinct would be go for a less conservative uh, possession structure, one where you, for example, don't have that back three. But it's not. It can't be quite that because again, we we already run into that issue in the second goal, where if you don't have enough people at the back, Barcelona's defense is not going to be able to handle that. So it's not so much to shift away from the back three, but to have different players doing that role. Because what's clear is that Sergio Roberto should probably be uh, operating further up the field instead of staying at the back. Because you lose a lot of his good... Because if you put it in that role, like the one he is right now, you lose a lot of his good qualities and you only show the bad ones, which is his defense. I would be a proponent of changing the formation to a 4-2-3-1, maybe put Vidal or someone else at the 10 and play a double pivot of Busquets and Frenkie de Jong. 
And then you can still keep this build-up structure in place because that's exactly what Frenkie de Jong did last season at Ajax, out of possession, of when they had the ball, excuse me, when the build-up started. He became the third centre-back and Busquets can then play just in front and you can keep that in, 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 uh, in shape. But you can put one more defender on the field then. So if you let Nelson Semedo play right back and Alba left back, and you put Nelson Semedo as the right winger in possession and Alba as the left winger, then you have a bit more defensive stability. And if you look at Anzu Fati now, great talent, but I don't think he's ready just yet in this role. So I would do it that way. I would put one more defender in, defend with a back four again. And um, yeah, I think that would aid the possession game because that's the best role for Frankie de Jong as well. I like the idea of having Frankie take over the kind of third center back role and also allowing Busquets to go forward is good because that would mean that he has more freedom to go out and do the pressing and especially counter pressing when Barcelona lose the ball which is something that that's his best attribute so I like that idea probably don't like so much the idea of Semedo because I I think he's kind of a hindrance when you're build playing out from the back but again it, that's kind of the trade-off that Barcelona has right now between those two. If you have Sergi Roberto, you're better at playing out from the back, but don't defend as well. If you have Semedo, you don't play out from the back too well, uh, but defense is a bit is a bit better. So. No, but Semedo doesn't have to play from the back. From the back, he can play a right winger, just be tucked against that, the touch line and let Frankie and Busquets and uh, Piquet do the build-up. True, and that should. And hopefully that should be enough. Then with regards uh, to Ansu Fati, one of the problems right now is that he's playing off the right side. And, well, the kid broke into the first team playing on the left side. It doesn't seem like the right is his natural, like his favorite side. No, like ever since Neymar was out, they didn't fix that, right? Like they didn't fix that position at all. It's complicated. Barcelona's thing with wingers is complicated really it they still have it they try to make Dembele be the person who takes over one of those roles it hasn't quite worked then there's the entire thing that because of Messi uh, Barcelona often ends up playing without a proper right winger they're trying to get they were they've been trying Setien has been trying to go back to that uh, over the last few games and have a proper right winger it's they have issues in figuring out how to make the team play with a bit more attacking width. It, it's, it's a complicated problem to solve. Yeah, and um, I should add one more thing, or actually two more things. The first thing is that if they would go for my solution, then you do put a lot of pressure on Piquet and Umtiti to defend because that system from Ajax last season was very attacking. So yes. you should have a very coordinated press going on forward if you want to implement that. But hey, that's what Citien wants, so let's see. And the second thing is, I, I said they should defend again with a back four. Obviously, today, if they did not have the ball and Valencia had the ball for a bit longer, they defended in a 4-4-1-1, 4-5-1 formation at times. But um, it was clearly not what was working as well. Like I thought the spaces between the lines were very big between defense and midfield. So that's something that needs sorting out as well. There are a lot of things that they're going to have to sort out because right now nothing, nothing is sorted out. Like the press is not coordinated. Possession game is stale. 
There's a lot of work to be done. That was like a minor tactical point that I didn't manage to put in somewhere in the conversation we had. But like, if Valencia had the ball for a bit longer, which didn't happen a lot because I had 26% possession, but still, then you could see the, the, the beginning problems Barcelona have defending in a medium block as well. So once again, a lot of work to be done uh, by Setien. Who do they play next week, Barcelona? Maybe I should look that up. That should be interesting. Because, yeah, for me, this is one of the more interesting storylines of the season, from a tactical point of view, at least. Let me check. They play Leganes away for the Copa del Rey and then Levante at home so for the league again. So they actually have a pretty decent schedule coming up. They don't play very hard teams. Yeah, Leganes will be a bit tricky because it's trying to break down a deep block, which is something they kind of failed miserably at today. Right. So so we'll see how how it goes for them. But it's interesting. I I remember I watched both seasons of Setien at Betis, and it, it was funny to me that the first year, the team seemed to be more direct and lacked control. So it was a bit more, well, if possession doesn't work, we're just going to throw the long ball to a big stri- to a big Paraguayan striker, Antonio Sanabria, and we figure, and well, we're we're happy with that. Then the second year of Betis and Setien, the team became a lot less direct, a lot the the, the possession structure became very neat, but the team was more conservative. And they had fewer people running in behind defenses. Uh, it was a bit more stale, a bit like this Barcelona team. So uh, it's just one of those things that makes me... And I think Setien wanted something a bit more along those lines. So it's just hard. Like he's trying to find... He needs to find that balance between directness and uh, and a more conservative possession that will allow you to keep the ball to use the use the ball to defend and to protect yourself while at the same time doing damage to your opponent it's hard it's a hard problem to solve yeah i think that's a very neat uh, summary and i uh, com- agree with it almost uh, completely hey i'm going to uh, round this up thanks for listening if you like uh, reading more we have a written article on this by our by our author Josh Manley uh, who also uh, is a big analyst of Barcelona, watches every game. And um, I had a little chat with him. He also more or less recognizes the possession problems. He made some diagrams, which are very interesting as well. Um, I should also say, because we're at the end now, so if you're listening still, you're a big fan, I would really like to uh, hear what you think of it. And we would like to have some more feedback. So please give that to us uh, through the website, betweenthepost.net. We have an email address that's over there. You can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We would really like to uh, learn what you think of it. And also, if you're using iTunes, it would, be, it would help us if you would leave a rating because we have very little ratings yet. And the more ratings, the better it can be found by other people. So if you like this, thanks. And you can help us that way. So... We'll uh, see uh, how that goes, right, Jose? Absolutely, and we'll have. We haven't chosen a game for next week. We'll see what happens next week. I I believe that we are having very good taste in choosing games, so I trust that we will still have fun next week trying to discuss the next game as we usually do. So, right. thanks for having me here, Eric, and see and see see everyone next week. Was a pleasure, man. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>